Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What the heck is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Kind of Funny X-Cast, your home for all things Xbox here at Kind of Funny. Of course, I'm one of your hosts, Snowbike Mike, and joining me today is just one of my gaming dads, Mr. Parasilly, had to take a sideline seat for this podcast, but Gary Witta is back. The man, the myth, the re- legend, the rogue one. Gary, I've missed you for a couple of weeks. How are you today? It's nice to be missed. I just want to clarify, there's no like beef or anything going on with me in Paris. It seems like when, <laughs> when he's here and I'm not, it's, it's, it's like, I want to turn into like the Axl Rose and Slash of, of Xbox yes, podcasts yes. where we can't be on the same stage together. It's not that. Um, just the timing's not worked out. He's been busy when, and, and I've been busy, but uh, I'm, glad to, I'm glad to be, be uh, here today. And just like old times, right? Back on the remote, uh, not in the actual studio, but uh, doing it all over Discord. That is correct, Gary Witter. We are remote, giving you some old work-from-home vibes. Of course, the kind of funny spare bedroom studio has been taken over by a whole lot of red. Nintendo red. That's right. The team over there is live reacting right now to the Nintendo Direct and giving you a fresh, hot games cast with their live reactions and post-show. You can catch all that over on YouTube.com slash games. But today, get some X-Cast green over here, and we are joined by two awesome dudes team members from Velen Studios to talk all things Knockout City and give you a little behind-the-scenes look at what is going on when we shut down or sunset a live service game, which I'm really excited to bring you this awesome conversation. And today, I am joined by Knockout City Game Director Jeremy Russo and Josh Harrison, the Game Marketing Director. So let's talk about it. First off, Jeremy, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing well. I was recovering from a bit of power sickness there but uh i'm ready to go jeremy i appreciate you giving me 110 percent, and we hope you get better asap but thank you for giving me your energy yeah. today i know it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about this game and the future with you let's Absolutely. go on over to josh josh what's going on big dog how are you not too much uh happy to be here i just uh you know now that the news is public it's 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 a weight off my shoulders a little bit now that i can talk about it and uh excited to dig in yeah, excited to talk about this with you. I'm sure it's very bittersweet to have this. And that's going to be the really interesting part of this conversation. Of course, it is saddening news. It's heartbreaking to see the game that we had a ton of fun with here at Kind of Funny. And I'm sure our audience really enjoyed Knockout City kind of saying goodbye. But at the same time, it's also a cause for celebration, right? We get to look back on these two years and celebrate what you and this team did over a number of years, not just two years, but creating this awesome product. And that's what I'm most excited to do here with you guys. But before we jump into any of that, of course, I have to remind our audience watching and listening out there that this is the Kind of Funny Podcast. We post each and every Thursday at 6 a.m. West Coast, Best Coast time on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games. And of course, on podcast services around 
the globe. But don't forget that Kind of Funny is now Epic Games Partners, which means you can use our Epic Creator Code Kind of Funny at checkout anytime you're buying games off the Epic Games Store or upgrading a look in Fortnite and or Rocket League or maybe even buying the season pass for Fortnite. Please use our Epic Creator Code Kind of Funny at checkout to help support the team in a brand new way. And talking about support, we always like to thank those who support us over on Patreon. Whether you are one of the X-Trogs, a.k.a. the Patreon live show audience out there like Cooper and Eric Z that are watching the show be recorded live, or you're one of our Patreon producers for the month of January like Delaney Twining. Thank you all so much for supporting us here on the X-Cast and over on Patreon. Your support keeps the lights on here at Kind of Funny, and we truly appreciate it. Finally, the X-Cast is sponsored this week by Shady Rays and Honey, but myself and the team will tell you all about that in just a little bit. Guys, let's jump into this fun, awesome conversation because, you know, from the outside, Jay and Jay, Jeremy and Josh, you know, looking on, you don't really get to see the behind the scenes. You don't get to know what goes into the decisions to sunset a game, a games as service now is the new term in video game world, and we don't really get to see the behind the scenes of, What's going on? What makes those decisions possible? And why would they stop this game? So I'm really excited about that. So to start off, I first want to say congratulations on two years of Knockout City. I know it was many more, but you guys and everyone at that team at Velen Studios deserves all the credit in the world. You took a unique approach to a fun kind of team shooter, arena shooter gameplay, and it was a ton of fun putting dodgeball in the mix. So Jeremy, I'll start with you. Congratulations on two years. What were some of your favorite moments looking back on this? Thanks. That that means a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the the some of the biggest moments were um right around the time that we launched. And because uh, people really didn't know what to expect of it. You know, the trailer doesn't even really do the game justice. It's really a game that you had to get your hands on to experience and play. And when we did that first open beta. Uh, the reception just blew us away. That was uh, validation for all the hard work we had been putting in uh, prior to that. And then again at launch, when um, you know it was a, it was a paid game, but we had that free uh, block uh, block party trial at the beginning. So we got so many people to play right off the bat, and it was just um, that moment of validation for all the hard work we had put in. That was that was probably the biggest moment, I think. Congratulations. That's really, really awesome. Yeah, that block party, right? You talked about that free kind of open beta really got a lot of excitement going heading into that. And Josh, that's where I want to bring you in, right? The marketing side of things. Let's talk about these two years really quick. The positives from you. I mean, getting to promote a fun, awesome dodgeball game in a world filled with generic Halo shooters. Sorry, Xbox audience out there. But, you know, what was that like for you and the team over there on the marketing side? I mean, it's just, it, it's so fun because this is such a different kind of game that uh, we got to try new kinds of things. We got to try new kinds of, uh, of of trailers and other kinds of marketing. We got this great voice of the DJ and he's just become this like voice of our trailers where he's in 90% of our trailers. It's just this voice of God, like talking to talking to players about what's coming up. It's, I don't know, It's it's been really fun. I think it's there's something special about working on a game that you just love so much. I know Jeremy and I have had a bunch of these kinds of conversations with like different partners and press and everything. And it's always a race to see who gets to say the line. Uh, this is my favorite game that I've ever worked on <laughs> because it's true for both of us. Right. Um, and it's just really special to be able to, you know, 
work on a project that you genuinely like as much as uh, as much as I love this game. That's really awesome to hear. Gary Witta, before we jump in and dive in, you know, some thoughts on Knockout City. I'm sure you and the family got to play some dodgeball. You know, you look back on this. Did you have some enjoyment kind of switching up the formula playing this? Yeah, I was in that block party. I, I actually remember when it was first announced. And at the time, I mean, I'm sure you could go back and, and pull the tape. But like back when it was first announced, I remember being very uh, bullish and optimistic about it. I thought it. I thought it had all the right ingredients in that it was... Uh, very family friendly. It was a shooter without guns, right? We could kind of you know solve the same solve that problem in the same way that Splatoon did, right? Like it's it's a it's a shooter that you're okay with your kids playing because it's so harmless. Like it's not really violence. It's just it's just fun. And it had that kind of Fortnite Fortnite aesthetic. Obviously, is so appealing right now. It just had a good vibe. I just had a good feeling about it. I remember saying at the time, it goes to show what I know. It was like, this could be like the next fortnight. I feel like this could like really break through. And again, on paper, it has all the right ingredients, that kind of Splatoon type family friendly um, aesthetic. It's got EA behind it. I don't know. I just, I just had a good sense about it. But again, as, as we say in Hollywood, nobody knows anything. Um, and so, you know, you don't, especially with a live service game, you just, you just, you just don't know. It's always a moving target. Uh, I'm obviously very sad to, you know, it's always sad when a, when a, when a game sunsets, not just for the developers, but also for the community of players, like something's going to be taken away from them. This is something that's been going around for, for as long as, um, live service games has existed. I remember for some reason, it's always stuck in my head, this story about when Microsoft fully finally pulled the plug on Asheron's call. Do you remember Asheron's call back in the day, one of the early, um, MMOs and the game, the, the audience knew it was coming, uh, that they were going to pull the plug and everyone kind of gathered. And you see these stories, these really sad stories that happen in the, in the news every now and again, like all the players kind of gather and kind of pay tribute to this world that's about to kind of disappear and friends and relationships are made and everyone has fond memories. And now that whole world's just going to go away. It's a kind of a, it's a really tragic element of this current era of gaming that we're in you know online gaming and persistent worlds give us so much but they can also be really heartbreaking when they're taken away so yeah generally um feel very sad about it again for 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 the devs and for the and for the community thank gary that's really well said right there gary and yeah we have a lot to talk about guys because i'm really excited we get to go behind the scenes with both of you and kind of talk about the inner workings of what led to this decision to, of course, sunset the game and shut down the servers, kind of, because we're going to talk about that in a moment as well. But there's a lot more Knockout City to do. So let's talk about the now right here. It's February 8th, 2023. If you're listening, it's February 9th. Now, we still have some Knockout City. So Josh or Jeremy, whoever wants to take it away, what can we expect from Season 9? When does this actually shut down? And what's the caveat when I say shut down? Because I know PC players might have a little bit different going on. Yeah, so we're uh, in the final weeks of Season 8 right now. Season 9 is coming on February 28th. Uh, we gave a little teaser uh, at the end of our last stream. It might be, might be pirate-themed. You can, you can check that out if you want to see all the details there. Uh, but Season 9 is going to be a full season. Uh, we, we didn't want to just say, like, oh, okay, we're done with content here. We really want to go out with a bang. Um, we really want to kind of do right by our players, do right by, uh, you know, our team. Our team is really proud of what we've made and just kind of letting it, uh, like, wither is not something that we're interested in. So Season 9 is going to have a brand new map. Uh, it's a super 
cool map we can't wait to show it to you it's got like new brawl pass tons of new cosmetics it's got another season of the deep space dispatches with like a story of lore of everything that's kind of happening in knockout city uh and then that's running until may 23rd and may 23rd we kick off a final two-week event that we're calling thanks for the ko's which is just this celebration of the two years of the game of knockout city and uh it's bringing back a fan favorite uh fan favorite playlist uh we're doing superpowers power grab i think we may have played superpowers with you uh mike back in yes, the day uh, yeah. yeah 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 um and so that one's coming back and we've got some you know contracts that just give away tons and tons of xp and hollow bucks are virtual currency so people can really you know unlock as much as they possibly can in those last uh last couple weeks and then after that is done the servers go offline on june 6th but as you alluded to a minute ago we are releasing a private hosted server version of the game for pc only so anybody who wants to can just download that for free from our website once we launch it in a couple months and uh, host games for their friends. There are people in our community that are already talking about like crowdfunding an AWS server so that they can have something that's up and running 24 hours a day. And um, yeah, it's just really kind of exciting and, and cuts that bitter part of the bittersweet a little bit because it's not going away entirely. It's, it's you know, still going to live on in, in a different way, but it's going to live on for a long time, hopefully. Jeremy, that's why I want to bring it over to you on the game director side, right? There's so much to talk about, but let's park the bus really quick on keeping this technically alive, right? This PC version that players are going to be able to download and still be able to play on their own hosted server. Let's talk about that. Was that a monumental feat for you and the team? Was this easy to switch on and say, hey, we got to do this? What were the conversations to not only do this, but what was it like to have to create this off of what you already have? On the technical side, uh, it's it's not completely free, but it was not a monumental lift either. It's, it's actually similar to how we run the build ourselves on our dev machines as we're developing the game. And, um, and so it's, uh, you know, not a huge amount of work to get it uh, up to that point. Then there's also just the, you know, is this something we want to do? And that conversation was actually really easy as well. Like the, the team really wanted to do it. We suggested it to the executives here at, at Felon and they were just like, everyone's just immediately on board with it, right? It's not something we're monetizing. We're just going to put it there for free um, for people to play because, because um, you know, as uh, Gary was talking about, the community is, you know, deeply in love with this game. And the, the most heartbreaking thing about sunsetting is actually the reaction from the community and um and so it, it kind of shows in hindsight that that decision to release this uh this private server build um to be the right one uh so it was you know it was not a monumental feat it's going to be a little bit of work on our end here but it was also a really easy conversation to have with our internal executives yeah i think that is something that's really special and should be applauded and celebrated right when i look at this and we talk about these games as a service or you know when we're, i was bringing it up during kind of funny games daily and that's how we had this conversation josh is like you know we live in this day and age where we're always talking online you kind of see those games come and go a lot more easily than we would back in the day where you just kind of forget about a game and move on but for the team to say hey we can make this work i think is something really that should be celebrated and i know the players will love to now and forever right being able to still download this game and play so 
kudos to you guys for doing that. I think that's a, a great thought and really should be. Moving on, I want to talk about the game itself, right? When we talk about sunset setting, what were some of the decisions that went into this? Why now, right? After a year of being, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were published by an EA original with EA, right? And then you went to self-publishing and went free to play. Why now after two years? Was it a player count number? Was it monetization and revenue just not cutting it for the team there? What goes into that decision for you and the team to say, now is the time for people that look on the outside and maybe they look at steam charts and they don't see the full picture of the number, right? That just shows that active user base, but there's so much more and they think, oh, that should have been gone a long time ago. Or why would they do that? There's so many still players playing. What goes into that decision-making of shutting down the servers? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's something you're always thinking about, you know, so uh, throughout the entire two years, it's some, it's always something that's on the table. Right. And, why would we decide to keep going? It's okay. Are we um, uh, seeing success here? Are we sustainable? Is there something more to learn? Uh, and that was that was actually a big uh, part of of our decision making. Was um, you know this is uh, our first time doing a game like this. We had a lot to learn, and there was a lot of reasons for us to to continue to try to improve some of the issues that we had. Um, and whatnot. So it wasn't like we had like a specific concurrency that we were trying to uh, stay above or hit. It was really a continual decision-making process um, to say, what more can we learn? What's, you know, uh, is it worth continuing to go? Do we think we can move the needle on this metric or that metric? And trying things, right? We would try uh, different changes um, to try to move whatever metric we felt wasn't, uh, wasn't working. And um, and really what it came to at this point was we were starting to get a handle on what kinds of changes we needed to make to move the, the retention metric for us. And, um, and it really wasn't going to be possible for us to do that with the uh, live, the game being live, keeping it uh, supported um, and keeping the team, um, you know, having the team make such a systemic change to a live game. So, um, you know, we're still figuring out everything that we need to do differently in the next time around. Um, but it, it was becoming clear that some of these things were going to be, you know, significant enough that it wasn't going to be possible for our small team to be able to do that um, to the live game. So that's really what then said, okay, what's the next step for us to improve uh, the game, to improve uh, ourselves as a studio, and it's to take a step back um and and start uh start fresh on some new ideas both for you know potentially knockout city or other other games as well so that was that was how the decision making um you know led to that yeah what did you have any questions and all i you know i had an observation and and also i guess a, a question on the on the back of it first of all i think you know you're you're taking the right approach it's um it's a sad look. Listen, I'm glad to be on this week because I'm an expert in failure. I, I, I'm an authority on the subject. Uh, and one of the wisest things that anyone ever said to me was that success is not the opposite of failure. It's a part of it. And it's a necessary part of it. And if you are, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to think, well, this sucks and be depressed and go away and do whatever you do to kind of cope with that. Like, you know, I've been there a million times. I work in Hollywood. Believe me, I fucking know. Um, but at the same time, if you are smart about it, you will take 
from it what you can learn and apply it to the next thing. And I think, you know, going back to the idea that, that failure is a necessary part of success, every success I've ever had in my life is the, is the product of every accumulated failure that came before it, right? The things that you learned. Well, we won't do that again. Or oh, I remember we did on the other project. Let's try something different this time. And it, or it's, it's a more complicated equation than that. But you know what I mean? Like it, everything makes you a little bit smarter and stronger for the next thing uh, that you go into. And I wish that people in, uh, on the money end of uh, the business, both in games and you know more traditional kind of entertainment shows, understood that. Um, it's like, wow, this guy's had a lot of failures. So one way to think about it is, yeah, he learned a lot of shit. It's like Thomas Edison said, you know, I, I, I didn't fail. I learned, a, I learned a thousand things that don't work, right? Like it's all part of that. Um, and without one wanting to get too overly philosophical about it, I do think that is a big part of it. And I guess, I guess my question is, um, obviously, uh, the game had its own issues in terms of, you know, your ability to kind of make it sustainable. I am curious, though, like without, you know, kind of wanting to kind of offload responsibility for it or anything do you how much do you think is just the 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 environment right now it seems like kind of it's the times that times are rough all over right now i just saw a story online the other day about how like 15 games have already been canceled this year alone like avengers has gone down with the ship uh you know really big you know games are like major uh, players and major franchise behind them that like there's a lot of uh it doesn't doesn't seem to matter how big the ip is or how you know much you throw at it obviously we all remember anthem and other things like ea did everything to try and keep that game alive sometimes it just the recipe just ain't there i'm just wondering like how much of how much do you do you feel like maybe if the game had launched at a different time or in different market conditions you might have done better like how much is this just generally just things kind of suck a little bit right now for live service games i don't know that it's that they suck right now i think it's that we're kind of in this period of transition i mean that's what right you know, from our perspective, at least, you look at what has happened to the industry overall, not even just live service games. It's like it, it, took, it took us to kind of crack the code on what makes a successful first-person shooter. And then, you know, there, there are now successful first-person shooters that, you know, kind of follow this formula. And you see that with indie games, these like short four to six hour experiences that are really polished. You see that in so many different genres. And I think live service is still relatively young compared to a lot of genres that have been around since before online multiplayer was a thing. And I think part of what we're kind of in is what is the next step to kind of innovate and, and figure out what, what is the long-term sustainable approach to products like this? We can't have a hundred Fortnites in the market, obviously. There just aren't enough players for that. So how do we, as an indie studio, take a different approach and craft something that is more sustainable for a small team that maybe doesn't need as high a player count to be long-term sustainable, whether that is um, you know, adjusting uh, some of our mechanics to the number of players or adjusting how our dev cycles go for the scope of different seasons or whatever it ends up being. It's it's more about figuring out how to adapt to the changing environment more than saying, hey, well, it sucks for games right now, so who knows what, what, what could you know, come in and, and succeed here. It's, it's what comes next, which is kind of what our studio is all about, like looking at the landscape and saying, what can we do differently? How can we innovate? How can we bring something unique? I think there's a new business model to be found somewhere here for the industry as a whole. 
you know, for these um, multiplayer focused live service games from smaller studios, um, we have to figure something out. Um, my analogy is you look at, uh, you know, single player games and uh, those AAA games just kept getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, how were indie studios going to compete with that? They did something different, right? You, you can download these four to eight hour super tight, super amazing indie game experiences. You know, you could play Little, Night- Little Nightmares 2 and it's like the best game you've played you know, all year. And that's, you know, that was a very focused um, uh, product, very different than, say, Assassin's Creed or something, right? And, um, and they found a, a new way to approach single player content. And I don't know exactly what that is yet for for multiplayer, um, you know, where you need to have constant servers online so people can match make and play against each other. Um, but I think that's something that the industry needs to figure out. How can these games live alongside the Fortnites and Call of Duties and, and the rest? It's 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 such a tough business in that regard. And again, I, I speak broadly across not just games, but like any kind of creative endeavor, anytime you launch something like you can be in this business for 20, 30 years, have so many hit products behind you. You can study the market and agonize over every decision and apply every bit of you know experience and knowledge and talent that you have into a thing. But like when the time comes to push that button and deploy something, no one, no one, no one that I know of in the history of entertainment has ever pushed that button and gone, yeah, this is gonna, this is gonna fly. Like you, you have that every time you do it, you have that sick feeling in yourself. Like we've done all we can. And now it's up to the gods, right? You're a hostage to fortune um, every time. And it's, 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 it, it sucks because you can't do this kind of work, this kind of creative work without caring about it. And so every time something fails that you put your heart and soul into, it does kind of feel like having your heart ripped out of your chest. And yet, you know, I, I, like, I know that you and all of the other people on Knockout City, and I'm also thinking about Rumbleverse and Avengers. And again, a lot of these games have, have really struggled um you know including you know, i thought rumbleverse looked really promising as well we had you know adam boys and some of the guys on here not too long ago talking about it you know with, I, I, they just launched it like you know, it had a very short lifespan and it seemed like all the signs at the time again on paper it looks really really good but then when you put it out in the wild you know they, as they say like no plan survives contact with the enemy you just don't know and and the amazing thing i think about creative people is that no matter how many hits that you take what are you going to do? Quick? Go, go do something else? No, of course not. You're going to sack up again and you're going to go make another game and again, pl- apply what you learned from the last one. But again, that's the nature of the beast is no matter how much you learn, no matter how much you, you pick up, when the time comes to push that button the next time, you're still back like, I don't know anything. Let's just hope this works. And it's it's beautiful and it's tragic and awful, but I don't know. It's what keeps us coming back every time. I'd be interested to talk about what worked for you guys. You talked about the learnings and us taking that away. And you also talk about player retention. Those are two things I really am interested in, right? Of course, there's that big pop at the beginning. We have the block party. We release the game. We got that number, right? And then, of course, it slowly starts to trickle off. And then we have another pop again. What were some of the things that you took away learning-wise that really worked for this smaller team, like you guys talked about on the indie side, that worked for you all, that brought back the player retention? And what were some of the things that you battled to bring player retention back on your side? I mean, I'm going to toot Josh's horn here a little bit, but um, I think the the interaction with the community was um, a big uh, learning uh, positive thing that we had. Um, Our 
community, or especially our, our Discord community, is like overwhelmingly positive. Um, we would uh, periodically do some of these meetings where we would take some of the the top players um, or top participants in the in the community. We would do meetings with them and just get their thoughts on what's working, what isn't, um, and uh, just the continual interaction with them. Uh, this, you know, impressed me. I, I was not, uh, I didn't know what to expect out of that. And I think Josh and the the entire community team did such an amazing job of um, keeping touch with the community and understanding what they were, um, how they were feeling. We had like a weekly meeting where uh, the community manager, Lynn, would run down, here are the top issues being discussed within the community, right? So alongside our analytics meetings and our executive meetings and stuff, we also had this community meeting where we would hear back from what's going on in the community, what's at the top of the list, um, what's going, what, you know, this new event we just released, is it being received well, is it not being received well? So then for our future events, we could, um, you know, plan around those things. So it was, it was not just the data that was driving the decision making, it was, um, a deep understanding of the community and what was resonating with them. Is there, I'm curious, is there like a formal post-mortem type process you go through at the end of all of this? And what does that look yeah. like? Yeah, we're right in the middle of that now, actually. We have um, the, uh, we actually have a several different um, avenues going there. The entire team, every single person that ever worked on the, on the game is um, helping contribute toward a, a massive like post-mortem uh, survey and, we're going to dig down to specific topics and each person that's an expertise in each area will will focus on what we could have done better from there. That's a lot of like focus on the development process and how we could be more agile in the future. How could we develop uh, a game that, um, you know, that we could make changes more quickly and easily and uh, to react to some of these things uh, better in the future. Maybe we have. I'm sorry, go uh, ahead. No, no, finish uh, your answer. We also have um, uh, separate groups of people that are really digging into the, the these retention issues and things like that and saying, okay, let's look back at the historical data, two years of data. What are the things that worked? What are the things that didn't work? Um, if we were doing this from the start, what would we do differently? Like what features would we cut that you know didn't didn't need to be there so that we could double down on, on, on other things? Are there core aspects of the gameplay that maybe we need to reconsider? You know, maybe... Maybe it is a really well-received game, but maybe we should, you know, consider all possibilities of why maybe it didn't attract the number of people that we that we thought it would. So we're like digging into every aspect of that right now with several different groups, and it's going to take months for us to really dig through it because we have so much data and information, and and like I said, we want to include the entire team in that as well. And so, and so you said you're in the middle of that process right now, and it will take months to kind of have all of your formal conclusions. But I'm, so maybe it's too early to ask this question. But I'm just curious: like, are there already things? Like, is there, are there a couple of like really like obvious kind of do's and don'ts that you already know you would want to kind of apply to the to the next thing that you go do? I think one of the things that we learned really on really early on um, was the importance of bots. Like that was yes, something where we call. didn't launch, we didn't launch with bots and it was like, we knew that we wanted to do it at some point, but it was something that we added, what was that season two, season three, it was a couple of months after launch that we launched the, you know, the middle of season three. Yeah. yeah. That we launched the kind of first iteration of them. And it's just been something that has been so important to us that, you know, we're about to launch season nine 
they came out in the middle of season three and we're still iterating and improving on them every season because the ability to uh, give new players the experience that you want them to have uh, is really important. Um, being able to uh, handle low concurrency. There are some regions that, uh, you know, if you're in a region that doesn't have a ton of players and you're trying to play in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. or something, we want to be able to get you a game. And bots let us do that in a way that a low player base doesn't. Um, and so I think that's something that, you know, that, that's a huge learning. Next time we do something like this, bots are going to be there from day one. I can almost guarantee it. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a really good one. And I want to keep this conversation going because we have some really good, fun topics coming our way right after our word from our sponsors. Shout out to Shady Rays for sponsoring this episode. Look how cool I look. You too can look this cool. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and so much more. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. They'll also provide 10 meals to fight hunger in America with every order and have donated over 20 million meals to date. That's fantastic. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back exclusively for y'all listeners and watchers right now. Shady Rays has given out their best deal of the new year. You can go to ShadyRays.com and use code KINDAFUNNY for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself. These are five star rated by over 200,000 people. Again, that shadyrays.com use the code kinda funny shout out to honey for sponsoring this episode honey is the easy way to save when shopping on your iphone or computer and thanks to honey manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past and we all know there's nothing better than the feeling of saving money honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart when you check out the honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons you wait a few seconds you see the fun little dancing guy honey searches for coupons and it finds you the best ones and then you just watch the prices drop we here at kind of funny have been using honey for years and it's helped us save thousands on tech costumes food you name it honestly i just love how easy it is to just set and forget and save that's the best part honey doesn't just work on desktops it works on your phone too you just activate it on safari on your phone you save on the go if you don't already have honey you could be straight up missing out you can get paypal honey for free at joinhoney.com slash kind of funny that's joinhoney.com slash kind of funny another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back. 
Uh, we've talked about bots. We've talked about player retention. Another one I want to talk about, of course, in today's day and age, a lot has gone into live streaming and the audiences that kind of attach themselves to Twitch streamers, YouTubers that play certain games and maybe create a cult following. Is that something that you and your team talked about, right? Whether it be a sponsored stream with the biggest and baddest streamer on Twitch or whether it be just people playing your game and keeping that in the conversation, getting more eyes on that. How relevant was Twitch streaming and YouTube to your team? And was that a conversation to look into? And how did that affect you guys? It was super important. I think if you look back to our launch marketing that hit uh, during the block party, uh, a good chunk of our launch budget went into influencers on Twitch. We were, you know, we had really big Twitch streamers that were um, uh, that were playing this game. And uh, again, if you want to talk about learning, something that was really interesting is uh, if you have someone that is just playing this game for, you know, one session, you know, we'll pay them to play for a couple hours. Uh, that wasn't usually as successful as someone that had more time with the game because it is something that is different. If you uh, have someone that's used to a third-person shooter or a first-person shooter or whatever, and you have them try this game, there's that there's that learning curve where it's like, okay, how how does this work? Like, it's it's lock on. I'm not used to lock on. I'm used to aiming. Wait, it's positioning and timing more than positioning and aiming. And so there's a moment that it clicks. Uh, but making sure that people are showing their audience that point that it clicks and they really start getting uh, getting up and running in this game was important. Um, even after our initial large um, marketing budget around uh, Block Party, we did partner with streamers in our community. Um, we had a uh, partner program that we call Creator Crew. There are still people uh, to this day that are... Um, that are streaming the game under that banner. We have uh, brought custom crew logos in for some of them so that they can rep to their uh, to their audiences to to really bring them in. Uh, and they've also, you know, talking about some of those conversations that Jeremy mentioned earlier, those roundtables that we would hold on Discord, some of them were also with our creator crew. Like, what can we do for you as creators to help make this game more streamable or more interesting on YouTube so that you can create content that your audiences will really get behind? I wonder sometimes about the economics or the, or the, the just the logic of throwing money at, like, big streamers to, to play your game. Like, if I, I've done this before. Like, if I see, for example, Shroud, or Pokey or Lupo or like one of the high-end streamers playing a new game. I'm like, oh, I, I, let, let me see what that's about. Because if they're playing it, then maybe there's something to it, right? They are literally influencers and tastemakers. Like that's why they've risen to the point they're at. But as soon as I go there and see that they're being paid to play it, I kind of lose interest. I'm like, oh, they're just being paid to play it. Like, who cares? I don't know. I just get, that's me. And I, I, I think there are a lot of people that don't care about that. They's, it's still exposure for a lot of people who are more, influenceable you know maybe younger audiences or whatever that don't even notice it's being sponsored or don't care but you've got one way or another you've gotten the game in front of them but i just kind of feel like obviously the real win the real win and this is harder to do is like something like among us where streamers just discovered it organically and that means so much more and obviously look what happened to that game and i guess i don't know what you learn from that other than if you just make a really good game and and find a way to get in front of streamers maybe they'll organically play it and love it and you'll have the next big hit but i worry about trying to kind of just like make it happen by throwing money at streamers just as a just as a as a, uh, there's a that's obviously a huge part of what 
the business is right now is let's get the influencers to play the game. Let's pay them 50 grand to play this game for a, for a day or whatever. I, I don't know what the return on that really is. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the back end of it. I just know that when I go to a streamer, a top streamer and see that they're playing something new, as soon as I see it sponsored, I kind of, I kind of eh, like, it's not the same as them organically playing it because they want to, because it's a fun game. And so I don't know, maybe I don't know if there's anything to be learned there or not. I don't know. I think it's, it, it, it depends. We did have some streamers that did kind of discover this game, especially variety streamers that were discovering it, especially during the uh, our earlier betas before mm -hmm. Block Party. Um, some of those we ended up saying, hey, you had a good time. Your audience seemed to enjoy it. So we want to now pay you to play this game during Block Party. So we kind of re-engaged those people that had a good time. Uh, it is, you know, your, your question, Gary, of how effective is this? I mean, if I could tell you the exact answer, I could, you know, charge millions of dollars to other game studios for that answer. It's, it's hard to tease out exactly what the impact of any of these things are. We know that we spent X number of dollars on uh, influencers as part of an overall marketing budget. And we know that in that first nine days of the game being out during block party, we got 5 million players. So. It, it, it's really hard to say, like, what if we had spent zero dollars on influencers? Would we have, you know, gotten one million players? Uh, if we had put that towards Twitter ads, would we have gotten 10 million? It's like, it's impossible to know. Because, but how, do, it, because how do you know where your audience is coming from? Like, they're, they're, like someone shows up in your server. Is that because yeah. they saw a streamer play or some other reason? I mean, you can do surveys and stuff, but they, again, it's, I, it can be really hard to kind of like pick the bones out of what was successful and what wasn't. Yeah, there, there's some, there's a lot of work to try and add attribution to influencer marketing out there, which, you know, some of it is more successful than others. We didn't try and do any of that. So I know sometimes you could be like, you know, use code kind of funny when you sign right. up for this game. Right. And, and that's and, how you know, yeah. Right. We didn't do any of that. Um, and, and we were kind of okay with that. We just, we had a ton of different streamers that were playing it and we had a ton of different people that were coming into our game and and we were ultimately really happy with with how that block party went and i don't think you know looking back on it even with hindsight i think i probably still would have done that the same way if i could do that piece over again really interesting chat right there i like that you brought up like those moments where you see the influencer, the streamer, whatever you want to call this situation, that moment where it clicks for them, right? I think that's the cool selling point for me. When I see Gary really click in and learn Fall Guys, right? That makes me go, oh, wow, he's having a good time. I'm having a good time. And I'm seeing the game break for someone where now they see it and they're showcasing it to the best abilities. That that stuck out for me, Josh, when you said that. I really like I think as a, as a design issue, just to kind of add to that, Mike, is and again this is a hard it's one of those things that's like infinitely more easily said than done but i think if you can try and kind of calibrate that click point to as early as possible um that's like one of the one of the reasons why i think fall guys was successful is the click point is almost immediate right you get it right away like there's what is there to learn like just get bust through the doors right so so simple anything that's even vaguely more complicated than that where it's like i again we yeah we have uh oh now it clicks but like the problem is, is the, the longer I'm in that air moment, the more I'm thinking, what is the opportunity cost to be playing this game and trying to chase that click point when I could be playing something else that I already have clicked on or there's a million, there's a million other options out there right now. One of the, the problems that I have with so many in the area of Game Pass and, and everything else is like 
every time I'm playing a game, I'm fully aware of the fact that there are all these other games that I'm not playing. I've chosen this game over many others. Why this game and not any of the others? And until you can get to that click point, if I if a game is taking, if I I'm 45 minutes or it could, everyone has different tolerances. But like if I'm like half an hour into a game and I haven't clicked. I will probably move on. And so, like, and again, it's again, easier said than done, but if you can find a way to, to, to get to that, like, Oh, I get it now moment, like really, really fast. I think that's probably one of the most important elements. And I want to give kudos to this team because it's dodgeball, right? I think right. that's a universally that's loved why, sport that people, and that's there's why the I was click, optimistic. you see it, you know it. Right. And that's then, why I was optimistic because you're mapping yeah. the rules of a game that everyone knows from childhood into this colorful and frenetic world. So that's one, again, one of the reasons why I felt, Oh yeah. Cause it's like, you get it already. Like this is a game that you played since you were a little kid. And I thought I actually thought it was one of the smartest things that you did in the way that it was that it was um presented. Yeah. Uh, we don't have too much time with you guys, but I do have some more questions I want to talk about. I want to talk about with you, Jeremy, the game itself, right? We have its own engine, a very brand new engine that you all created, right? This is a very special thing. And the big one I took away from our first meeting a long, long time ago, seeing the game behind closed doors was guys working hard on the net code to make sure this felt as good as possible right we shut down the game what happens now the the game engine the net code everything we worked so hard for is that just lost on a hard drive somewhere will you use that and take that somewhere different like on the outside what happens with all the hard work that we put in here right this kind of goes back to the talking about the successes and failures you know one of the big successes is creating this engine um and actually, this engine is is used for uh, uh, Rift Rally and uh, Mario Kart Live as well. Um, so it is it is already a part of other uh, games that um, that you know we're, we've released or are you know upcoming release. So um, you know now we have the ability to do something that you know we had to create this engine because other engines couldn't do what we wanted to do. Right? We had uh, it's not just simple rollback code. We have physics objects being uh, manipulated in uh, multiple at once in 3D space across the internet, and um, that's what forced us to create this engine in the first place. And now it gives us, uh, you know, opens up the door to a lot of other game types that um, that might be discarded or impossible um, at other other studios. So, um, so yeah, no, that that engine is already living on. It'll you know live on uh, again in in March, and. Um, and uh and future projects that we are uh looking into now as well very cool yeah that was something i'll I'll never forget and i'll take away is like all the team all the effort your team put in what happens with that so that's really awesome to hear yeah uh got a great question from the chat mr hawks writes in he is a patreon live supporter right now watching this show and this is an interesting one because you talked about it right being able to shift and move as such a small team and try to hit what you think would keep the player base and Keep this game alive right but they write in and say were there any ideas or features you wanted to implement to the game that you were just in unable to put in there right so that kind of that conversation of like you needed this big shift to something you all clearly saw that would probably keep this going can you share what that was or were there other things that just never made it to you know reality oh uh, well i mean one thing um that we we actually made some attempts at but due to our side like it was a perfect example of what our limitations were was our uh our first time user experience right the first time you boot up the game and you get in and you get into the uh into the gameplay how are we teaching you how to play and at launch we really 
didn't have anything, right? We we had some optional tutorials you could go play that were you know kind of slower paced, but were weren't really representative of the gameplay. And something that you know we were struggling with was that you know early retention. So we're like, okay, we need to reach that click point. We weren't calling it that, but that you know it's a great term. We need to reach that click point earlier. And you know, for us, we believe that you have to learn how to catch, right? That's like the the most important thing. If you're not defending yourself in this game, it could be frustrating, right? You just spawn, die, spawn, die. If you don't know how to uh, defend yourself, so um, we implemented a, um, a for a, you know, a brand new first time user experience. But that was really painful for us to do. It was really hard to get the right amount of resources to uh, to put against that. It, it was really difficult to inject into the game because it required, you know, reworking how the entire game boots up and gets into your first few matches. Um, and it didn't really work. It didn't uh, achieve what we wanted it to achieve. So we pulled it. We pulled it out. We were able to iterate on it and try again, and it was definitely improved, but it still wasn't getting to the point where we we wanted it. But you know, I still believe that there's something there because we were never able to put in the full amount of effort. You know, the number of staff, but also just working it into the infrastructure that already existed was really difficult for us. So that wouldn't have been a, a feature that all the players would have seen because they're, you know, the players are already in there. Um, but this would be something that could actually keep more players as they came in and then grow the, the user base over time. So that's like, that's a that's an, a really perfect example of something that we even we were trying to do, but because of it's a live game, you can only do so much to a live game where a small group uh people working on it those you know that was like a, a limitation right there i think something lot. else also was like even features that we never got to try that were always on our backlog that we wanted to add if we just had more time like i mean we've been talking about adding like a taunt wheel or communication wheel since i mean that was supposed to be season two originally before we launched for like oh we'll have time for that in season two um and uh you know people people always say like hey how come you haven't added this like i think it would be a great idea and it's like yes we agree that it would be a great idea but we're an indie dev and we got to make decisions like if we are if we make that what does that mean we are not making instead everything is 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 a trade-off you just have to you know put put your eggs in a basket and hope that it's the right basket to put them in and hope that you're making those right decisions yeah that's really well said we hear that from a lot of developers right of like what is the pick and choose here? Where do we go? And what can we really put our attention into? That's really interesting. I uh, want to talk about the store really quick. Over with you, Josh. Of course, you guys landed some cool IP collaborations. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the game, right? That's pretty radical, if I do say so myself. But, like, how far does that go for player retention, keeping the lights on, right? How hard is that to get as an indie studio to get, like, Nickelodeon and the team to say, yeah, Put the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the game. That's cool with us. What is that like on that side of when we talk about games of service and dialing in the store, getting the right items in, the right cost? We've talked about that a lot with Halo Infinite, right? The pricing of everything. What does that all go to towards, of course, this mix of keeping it alive and shutting it down? Can you talk more about that? Yeah. I mean, the the Ninja Turtles collaboration specifically was like, you know, if I could tell child Josh that that was going to happen, uh, he he would have peed his pants in excitement or something. It was just like it was it was a dream come true to be able to like work with an IP like that. Um, 
but that wasn't our first. We've, uh, you know, we had an Among Us collaboration in season six. We had a couple EA IPs. Uh, we had um, Mirror's Edge and Dead Space and and The Sims and and everything. And I think it's um, again, it's that it's that the same question of influencers. How much does that actually bring? It's it's kind of up in the air. We do have a, a slightly more detailed. Um, you know, reporting structure there on because we know exactly how many people bought that bundle. So that is at least a very explicit. We know how many people bought the bundle and we can, you know, try and attribute that to say, okay, how many brand new players came in and bought the bundle within their first X number of days. Um, But it is still really hard when it is paired with so many other things that the Ninja Turtles collaboration came with season seven, which also was mutant themed and had, you know, X number of marketing dollars behind it that were trying in new places and also had custom private matches and this new map that was really cool and all of these other things. And so it's, you know, it's, it's really hard to point to it and say like, oh, Ninja Turtles brought in X number of players. Um, but I think the excitement that the community had and that new players had coming in specifically for the turtles or excited about other clubs we've had in the past uh it's you know it's it's hard to deny that people get really excited about ips that they like outside of the game that they're playing yeah that's such an interesting give and take there right because of course rumbleverse just announcing the same thing shutting down their servers and i know a lot of our audience is like Man, they should have teamed up with WWE, right? That would have been the killer hit. And it's like, well, how far does that go, right? Like you brought up, Josh, like how far does that really go to, are you still playing the game, right? It's great that you can spend $10 on that, but are people still playing the game? Are we still getting the longevity that we want? How far does just an IP collab with a store monetization really bring you? I like hearing yeah. that. And yeah, that's an interesting conversation to have on that. one. Yeah, I mean, it's... The thing that this will help you do is it'll help you grab the attention of people that really like that IP. And so I think it gets you a chance with those people, but you still do have to hook them. There are some people, you know, if 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 this game is not anything remotely like their style of game, if they only like single per, uh, single player experiences and they try Knockout City and they're like, oh, I heard the turtles were in here, they may not stick around. Um, but, you know, our hope is that people that like multiplayer games uh, that may not have heard of Knockout City before. This might be on their radar because of that. They try it out. They see that it's it's their kind of game. They see that it's fun. They tell their friends and, you know, it, it's the that crossover IP that may have gotten their attention in the first place, but it's the game that keeps them around. That's great. Uh, we're starting to ramp down here. Just a final couple of questions before I got to let you guys go. You know, we talk about the future, right? And it's really impressive to hear this indie team right, of what we've now have multiple projects. We got a brand new project announced, right, which is very exciting. Josh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Jeremy, can we talk about how exciting that is? And then I want to bring in a, a user best friend question that talks about, is it hard to keep the team together and excited when you have to go through something like this and get to the next development, right? What is it like having morale maybe skyrocket down or shoot to the floor because we're all sad but then pick back up with something new or how do you keep everybody in the office happy here? Uh, so I'll, I'll talk about the new project and Jeremy can take that other one. Um, yeah. So literally just yesterday, uh, we announced Hot Wheels Rift Rally, uh, which is the going to be the next game from Velen Studios coming out in March. 
Uh, it is an, uh, a mixed reality racing game where you have a physical RC car that is driving around your living room. It's got a little camera on it. And so it's taking your living room and turning it into a racetrack or oh, a Oh, like what they did arena. with uh, Mario Kart Live Circuit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it built on very similar tech. Cool. Um, to that we did uh kind of evolve the tech a little bit there's a lot of stuff that uh you can now do here you have 140 plus hot wheels cars and you can kind of switch between them the sports cars drive like sports cars the trucks drive like trucks and you can kind of change in the middle of uh of gameplay and it changes the stats on your car um really really uh it it, it just has this wow moment when you try it for the first time where uh it's, it's it's just pure yeah magic. it is yeah exactly really exciting stuff there jeremy on the other side with the team you know let's talk about it you know we say goodbye to one project we're starting to slowly ramp down here how do you keep everybody energized are people standing up and running away from you now because they're upset what, what's that like uh well you know everyone's very excited right now because the rift rally uh, studio is super energized by that but um you know the, the the team uh, has been along for the ride as well, so there wasn't necessarily necessarily anything surprising about it within the studio when we decided we made that decision. Um, and the the main thing is to reflect back on what what were the successes, right? The the number one and number two and number three successes for us that we defined before this project wasn't uh, it's going to live on forever and make tons of money. It was we're going to create our first uh, live ops game. We're going to learn from this. We're going to create a new engine and we're going to have critical acclaim. And we like, we reached all of those, uh, all of those goals. And that was like, that was step one success, right? Um, because we knew that was what we needed to do to establish the studio, build our capabilities, and then be able to do more with it. Right. And so it's reminding people of those successes and that now we get to do that next step. We get to take everything that we learned and move on to the next thing. Um, and then immediately we launched into, we did Game Jam, and uh, you know, everyone created pitches and, and in the studio, and um, you know everyone in the studio from you know artists, engineers, QA, designers, everyone was able to pitch their own ideas. Um, and we're starting to work on some of those, the ones that rose to the top. We're going to start working on some of those. Um, we're going to continue doing our retrospective of, of Knockout City and, and think about how that could uh, fold into some of these new uh, project ideas or future to Knockout City. So um, just immediately reflecting on what this now enables us to do, that's what kept the studio uh, positive throughout this whole experience. Can I, can I ask kind of a morbid question to to wrap things up here and get I, in I there gary get crazy with it i wouldn't ask it if i felt like you guys were struggling emotionally with saying goodbye to this game or whatever but like clearly you, you you're taking the right approach i think you're very kind of philosophical about it and all the stuff we talked about and you're already excited about the next game so i do because i'm fascinated like what it looks like what do the final moments or what do you but as a practical matter what are the final moments of the game look like? Do you like? Do you physically pull a plug? Do you press a button? Does it automatically happen at midnight? Like, what does the actual like time of death look like? And I'm sorry if that's morbid, but I'm fascinated by <laughs> yeah. just as a practical yeah, yeah. matter what it looks like. How it's do I like get the last cutting. game possible? Yeah, right. It, it's like a ribbon cutting, but there's a, a cable going to the server, <laughs> and we have <laughs> like a big pair of shears. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
it's kind of it's more like hitting a button. Okay. Um, it'll be like hitting a series of buttons. Um, our, we're going to be in a, a little war room with all of our uh, engineers who run the live service, and they're going to wind down one service at a time over the course of, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take, but it'll just be a slow shutdown of, of everything. Um, yeah. Uh, and like I, I said before, we, we went on the air. I'm going to uh, tell my five-year-old, I think the day before this happens, and I'm going to film his reaction to it. <laughs> and uh, and that'll be that'll be how we how we end it. I think the other thing too is we are we've processed this internally, right. but we've also known about this for for a couple months now uh, to varying degrees of like could this be the way we go? Making the decision, figuring out how we roll that out to the studio, and then what the plans are to roll it out publicly. But like this this is emotional for us like it is really bittersweet there there is a lot of excitement about what comes next but it is really hard to say goodbye to this ip because we do love it so much i mean you know uh i think jeremy and i being such fans of the game ourselves we've we've definitely gotten a little emotional about it and kind of seeing some of the ways that our community has been hit that's that's emotional too and I think no, I, I, and again i think you guys have got exactly the right attitude even when you know the writing's on the wall for a long time and you're able to kind of brace yourself i was i was gonna i was gonna say to you but i feel like you already know this is like yeah you should be prepared in the final moments to have some feels right it's gonna happen like when that when that moment comes yeah i i think I mean, in my head, I'm I'm debating on if I want to do an official stream on our channel that like goes up until the minute the server is shut down. And, you know, I think it's uh, if we do that, I think that it'll be, you know, kind of hard in that moment. But I think it's I don't know, John, um, I'm not afraid to cry, but I might be afraid to cry on stream. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, I can shut your camera off. You can or yeah, claim te go. technical difficulties. Yeah. If, I, if I if I can do it, you can do it. I've I've somewhat infamously cried on a kind of funny stream before so if a, if a big tough guy like me can do it you can do it yeah that's great you guys well yeah let's let's start to ramp this down i do have a quick follow-up question you know you brought up of course we talked about the pc version being able to still play and you brought up bots quick question on that will bots be able to be played in that where maybe i can play by myself still if i don't have a number of friends playing on at whatever hour in the night Absolutely, yeah. The Perfect. every game mode we've ever made will be available to play in the private server, in the private match area of the game. And for every one of those playlists, you could switch bots on or off if you want. That's, That's really great. great. All right. Well, my final two questions for both of you. I need you to think about this one, but I'm going to hit you with one before. What are the three big things that you would encourage each other or other game developers looking at a live service game? to really put as their pillars, right? What are the things that are gonna keep this game alive? I'm gonna ask you those three, but then first, are we gonna go back to a live service game as a studio? Is this something that we would go back into or would we take a different approach on the next game after this? Josh, think, I'll start with you. Yeah, it's, it has been such a joy to work on this game and I hope that we do come back to another live service game. We frankly don't know. I mean, we, in Jeremy's announcement post and in some of the conversations that we've had since then, we've talked about the possibility of bringing Knockout City back, whether it's a Knockout City 2 or a different game in the universe or whatever it is. And while we would love to do that, we're not making any promises. Uh, and that's not because it's like, you know, 
oh, uh, we're not ready to announce it yet. This is part of the marketing plan that we can't say that we're doing it yet. Like we, we really just don't know. Um, we're doing that retrospective. We're doing that postmortem. We're trying to decide. Um, and uh, just not knowing if we're going to be back is, is kind of exciting that, that our future is uncharted and we're still figuring that out. But similar to what we talked about earlier, as long as we can figure out that new business model that fits live service, we'll absolutely be back. Like that, like that. And Jeremy, for you, do you envision returning to a live service games as a service game? Uh, I mean, I hope so. I mean, these are the types of games that I like to play, right? I this is uh, how I stay in touch with my my friends, and um, and it's you know a huge part of who I am. So I would love to also be a part of making those experiences for people. Um, got very very addicted to to making, uh, you know, this social experience for people and seeing them find new players and and connect that way or reconnect uh, the way I did with some of my older friends. Um, so um, I would love to continue that. Brad, you guys. All right. Give me the big three. We've talked monetization. We've talked player retention. We've talked marketing. We've talked the hook, right? We've talked about that moment. What are some of the big things that you will take with you? And of course you would talk if other game devs came to you and said, how do I make a great live service game? What are the things that you got to say, Hey, you got to focus on this to really nail this and make it successful. What would you give me? Uh, well, one I think is you have to plan for how can you be sustainable? How can this be successful with you know low concurrency, low you know low users? Because you don't know what type of response you're going to get. And you know, bots was a big learning for us, and that was exactly one of the main reasons. Um, and so you can't plan for Fortnite size success. You have to plan for indie size success. So that would be one. That would be one. Uh, Josh, you have a second. Yeah, my that that was I had two, and I was hoping that you could fill it in with a third, but that was one of mine. Uh, the next is really investing in the community, and that you know, in, investing could be any number of things. It could be putting uh, in money in. Uh, funding this partner program like we're doing uh it could be investing time just making sure that you are spending time with people uh it, it's not just about hey if someone asks a question on twitter are we going to respond to them it's no do these people actually get to know your studio to learn the personality of the studio through the people that are active in discord um and on live streams and on reddit and all of those places i think that has really paid dividends to us in a way that really exceeded um our hopes before this game announced um i would say the third would be investing in in data um like that's a huge um thing that every game that i made before this was you you finish the game you lob that grenade over the wall and then you move on to the next thing and you're already three months into the next project before that one even is was released right this is a totally different experience where you know people are playing your game right now and you could be doing something to make it better and um and so we became uh really reliant on data and it became clear how much we weren't uh collecting in in you know collecting in terms of you know data analytics within the game but also just 
doing surveys and things like that, right? The community is giving us one perspective. They're giving us the perspective of what's going right and what's not going right for the retained players. But who you're not talking to are the churned players. <laughs> and you're not you're not you're not able to ask the community why you know why have you churned? Because they're not they haven't churned. They're enjoying the game. So it's it's just that data um, from so many different angles. I think um, you have to plan right from the beginning. And you have to be uh, injecting into every aspect of uh, of the game, both from you know the player base as well as to inside the game, so you can really understand what's going on um, quickly, and then be able to adapt to it. Those are three great one guys. I really appreciate that, and that's something I'm going to take away. You know, it kind of hit me the realization when we we're talking on KFGD, right? Two years of this, and I think the big one is like understanding the scope, right? Not every single game is going to be Fortnite, right? When we're on the outside looking in as, you know, players, right? It's like, oh, this has to be the next hit. This has to take over the whole entire world for 10 years or else it's a failure, right? And like, that's an insane statement to make, right? There's very few flashes in the pan like Fortnite and Rocket League. But to look at the scope of the team, right? This is an indie studio that tried something completely different, right? Something that you know and love, but also something that's different and out of the ordinary of what we're currently playing and celebrating a game that played really well, a game that ran well, right? And also on the same time, like, look at the length. Two full years of this is something to be celebrated. I, I really wanted a kudos to you and the team of like, man, two years of this was really a lot of fun. And it's bittersweet to say goodbye, but it is something awesome to look back on and be like, man, they nailed a dodgeball game that I look around and I never played in my life, something that was so much fun in the dodgeball world, so. Congratulations. Don't, that don't be sad that fun. it's over. Be happy that it happened is another piece of fortune cookie yeah. wisdom that I'll leave you all with. <laughs> Love that game. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And uh, that's how we're going to end it. We are lucky to sit down with the game director, Jeremy Russo, and marketing director, Josh Harrison, from Velen Studios to celebrate Knockout City. It's not over yet. You still have plenty of time to play, and it's going to be alive for a lot longer because you PC players can keep the game going and keep having fun with knockout city guys it's been a blast to hang out with both of you Do you guys have any final words to the kind of funny best friend audience and of course the x cast before we wrap up the show uh oh boy uh check out check out knockout city if you haven't yet <laughs> it's still up <laughs> for four good. more months <laughs> yeah and rift rally in, in march <laughs> yeah the hot was the hot wheels yeah. game sounds sounds cool yep. actually i will definitely look at that Yep, there's a lot more, and you know, more in the future too. I mean, there's a lot to look forward to from Velen, you know, because we're we're seeing what's going on behind the scenes, and even though some of these things are really far off, there's there's a lot to be excited about. So, bittersweet is the is definitely the the term. So, congratulations, you guys, and everybody out there watching and listening. Thank you for tuning in to another kind of funny X Cast episode. We'll be back next week with more Xbox talk with me and my two gaming dads, Gary Witta and Paris Lilly. On behalf of myself and the crew, thank you for tuning in to this awesome interview, and I hope you had a good one. We'll see you on the next one. Bye, everybody. Uh, real quick, are we, are we switching? Okay, excellent, okay, hold on.